Welcome to the Lifehouse Podcast. Our aim is that together we can love God, love others as we walk each step with Christ. We hope you find this message practical, encouraging and life-giving. Be blessed. How are we going this morning, guys? We good? Yes? Who's been loving the rain? Yes? I love the rain. I thought it's raining right now, but I think that's just something in the in the room. It's just the Holy Spirit, I reckon. Um, praise God. Well, we are in part two of Songs in the Key of Life. Uh, Pastor Mark preached a great message last week. Um, little clap for Mark. <laughs> Very good. In part two this morning. Um, some may know, some may not, but This title, Songs in the Key of Life, is actually from an album from 1976. Anyone? Oh, Holly knows. Stevie Wonder. Who knew that? Uh, Okay, knew it. I I only knew it because um, of the title. So thank you, Josh. (laughs) We're all learning things here today. Um, But the aim behind this series is for us to take a dive into the Psalms, which are songs and poetry primarily written by uh, this man of God, King David. Um, And so I'm quite excited about it. I think, yes, a lot of the Psalms are in the key of life. They're beautiful and they're uplifting and they, you know, make you feel all nice and warm in the inside. But I don't know if you've ever noticed when you're reading the Psalms that sometimes you might be reading something nice and warm and squishy and then all of a sudden you read something about death and destruction and slaying the wicked and calling curses upon the enemies. I don't know. Have you ever noticed that? It's like, it's kind of, we, we try and not notice it, I think. It's like, it's just those verses that ruin a really good psalm. It's like, they kind of seem like they're not really in the key of life. They kind of seem like they're a bit more in the key of death, you might say. Um, and over the past few months, I've kind of been going through the psalms backwards. I don't know why, I just thought I always read forwards. Why not read backwards? And um, I had in the back of my mind, okay, I need to kind of, hear what God's saying for the church as well. I'm preaching on this and I was hoping for something nice and floral and and beautiful to share. But the thing that kept tripping me up was those silly old verses about slaying the wicked and the cursing this and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, why God? You know why? There's so many amazing things in here. Why do I feel like these are the ones that I need to speak about? Have you ever been reading a really deep psalm like... Psalm 55, 22, which says, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. Like, amen, amen, preach it. That is so good. I accept that word for my life. And then the next verse directly after it says, but you, God, will bring down the wicked into the pit of decay. The bloodthirsty and deceitful will not live out half their days. And you're like, What? David, I thought we were saying nice things here. We're using our nice words. And now you're using your not nice words and you're talking about throwing your enemies into a pit of decay. What is going on here? And then usually he picks it back up and he finishes off with something nice like he says here. But as for me, I trust in you. And um, we're like, what? But it's honestly, it's not too uncommon when you're reading the Psalms to come upon some death and destruction writings. And these have a formal terminology called the imprecatory Psalms. Someone say imprecatory. 
imprecatory. It's a, it's a bit of a weird word, but I'm going to be using it a bit because it's, you know, kind of helps me in, in, in describing it. But um, basically, the imprecatory psalms are these psalms of cursing, of um, condemnation. I have a few just... Just a little snippet for you guys. Verses that you don't usually hear on a Sunday morning is what I'm calling this segment. Psalms 11 verse 6. On the wicked he will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur. A scorching wind will be their lot. I hope you're feeling uplifted. Psalm 59 verse 5. You, Lord God Almighty, you who are the God of Israel, rouse yourself to punish all the nations. Show no mercy to wicked traitors. And the worst of them... um, Psalm 58, 6 to 8, break the teeth in their mouths, O God. Lord, tear out the fangs of those lions. Let them vanish like water that flows away. When they draw the bow, let their arrows fall short. May they be like a slug (laughs) that melts away as it moves along. And he goes really horrible here, like a stillborn child that never sees the sun. And honestly, you really would not describe that as the key of life. If you do, please go to the connect point after the service and um, we, will, we will be praying for you because they are, they're pretty horrible. And David, you know, he goes into great detail about the beauty and the majesty of God. And that's why we love the Psalms. It's like it connects to us. We're like, yes, he just does such a good job of describing how amazing God is and, and, and um, all these beautiful attributes about God. But because he's a detailed man, he goes into great detail about his enemies and all these horrible things that he, he wishes upon his enemies. And I find that I like to skip over those, but this morning we're going to kind of try and draw out a bit of meaning from it. Because the thing that really blows my mind is that the Word of God actually says that David is a man after God's own heart, right? It says that in two places, that David is a man after God's own heart. And that then really confuses me after reading those verses. It's kind of like, what? Is that God's heart? For his people? All those horrible things. Is he up in heaven writing a list of, of nasty things he wants to have happen to his people, or to happen to us? So really, it isn't florals this morning. These are big questions and we're going to dive into God's Word to get some truth around this, to make some sense of it, to see where the key of life is in what sort of seems like the key of death. Who's in for the ride? Yeah, all right, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for drawing us all here this morning and we uh, understand that you brought us here for a reason and for a purpose. And we just say, Holy Spirit, will you make that clear? Will you make that known? Will you have your way in this place this morning? Draw us unto yourself. Speak truth into our hearts. Enlighten our hearts where there's darkness. Show us, God, what you are wanting to say to us, your heart and posture towards us. Come and have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the psalm in particular that caught my attention when I was going backwards to the psalms was Psalm 109. And I was going to read all of it, but I thought you're going to get the picture if I just read the first 15 verses. So here it is. My God, whom I praise, do not remain silent. For people who are wicked and deceitful have opened their mouths against me. They have spoken against me with lying tongues. With words of hatred, they surround me. They attack me without cause. And who knows, that 
is not a nice thing if someone's attacking you without cause. In return for my friendship, they accuse me, but I am a man of prayer. They repay me evil for good and hatred for my friendship. Appoint someone evil to oppose my enemy. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. Who knows that the enemy, Satan, is also known as the accuser. When he is tried, let him be found guilty and may his prayers condemn him. May his days be few. May another take his place of leadership. Here's a whole lot of maize. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children be wandering beggars. May they be driven from their ruined homes. May a creditor seize all he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his labor. May no one extend kindness to him or take pity on his fatherless children. May his descendants be cut off, their names blotted out from the next generation. May the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord. May the sin of his mother never be blotted out. And may the sins always remain before the Lord, that he may, that he may blot out their name from the earth. I just find this sort of stuff really, really hard to swallow. Like he has got some wild vendetta against this guy. Like he is not just saying some generic thing, you know, God just you know, punish this person. He's taken time and a lot of it to write very specific things that he wants to have happen to this man and his children and and, and their family. And I, I just, you know, I find it hard to swallow. I understand that his enemies were bad. They were evil people. He describes that they were unjust, these, these unmerciful enemies. But to me, with the New Testament in my brain, I'm kind of like... You know, David, why don't we lighten up a little bit here? Like, just, just take a breath, you know. Let's, let's just think about this a little bit more. Is it wrong for David to talk like this? Because if it's not, does that mean we can? Does that mean that we should? Are we meant to go hard hating on the people who hate us? Asking God to do horrible things to our enemies? Because I'm sure... We've all had a chance or two to, you know, really feel like, oh, I want to pray like this. Are we justified in doing that? I tell you, I haven't really probably had quite as an intense time like David had here in Psalm 109, but there's definitely been some times where I'm like, okay, God, I need some justice here for this wrong that was committed. Like when I was seven years old, I had my tonsils out um, and it was quite a painful procedure for me. Um, I remember afterwards I got to eat ice cream and they gave me a giant chocolate freckle, which I couldn't eat for weeks, but they gave it to me and I was super stoked about it. The worst part really was they put this huge thing in your mouth where like to get your tonsils out and it like it cuts the side of your mouth and um, that was not fun. And so I wasn't really having a good time. But um, what... I was really looking forward to. My sister and I had planned for a very long time to go to the Super Play Cafe. We were pestering mum, like, mum, this is the place to be. We need to go to the Super Play Cafe. And so mum was like, all right, for at least Marie's birthday, we will go to the Super Play Cafe. But of course, the Super Play Cafe, the, her flipping 
birthday party was on the same weekend that I had just had my tonsils out and the doctors had said that I was not allowed to do any physical exercise. Now, that normally wouldn't have been an issue. I was not really into physical exercise as a child. (laughs) Not at all. Um, But this was an issue because it was the weekend that we were meant to go to the Super Play Cafe. And so mum had warned me, okay, Tash, look, when we get there, you just, you're not allowed to go on the playground. And I'm like, mum, the whole, it's it's a Super Play Cafe. It's not the Super Sit Cafe. You know, we're meant to play and I can't play. And so I was crying and I remember we rock up already. I had tears in my eyes and um, we, we barely had time to put the food on the table and all the kids are running off onto the playground and sliding down the slides and going in the ball pits. And I was sitting there on the table with the boring old parents feeling so sorry for myself. I was like, this is the absolute worst. And mum tried to make me feel a bit better. She was like, okay, at least you got the party food. You know, we're going to have some cake. And I loved my cake. And, you know, um, eventually all the kids got called in from the playground and we um, cut up the cake saying happy birthday. This is a long story, isn't it? I've got a point. I I got my slice of cake and um, I was having a mouthful of this cake. And for the first time in that day, I felt pure joy. I did. It was our traditional birthday cake. It was an almond meringue tort. It's a weird thing for a seven-year-old kid to like, but I absolutely loved it. And I was like, this, okay, things, things might be okay. Drawing the tears from my eyes. And I go to have a second bite of cake. And this little girl catches my eye who was kind of sitting on another table. I didn't know her, never seen her before. She was just there at the cafe and she catches my attention. And so whilst I'm bringing the the fork up to my mouth, I kind of look at this, this girl and see that she was actually absolutely glaring at me. Like, I don't know if it was a satanic attack or what, but she just had this glare, like this piercing glare, absolutely staring me down. And so I kind of like frozen, like looked at her like, you know, what's going on? And she, I wish I was joking. She spat out these words. I don't know if I can say it. It's not rude. Well, it is really rude. Actually, it's not like a swear or anything. She said, eat your cake you fat pig. I, I know, I'm, I'm not kidding. She literally spat those words out. Eat your cake, you fat pig. I don't know, like, do we laugh at that? Do we cry at that? Like, what do we do right now? It's a horrible story. Like, it was a horrible moment. I felt like screaming. I felt like crying. And then I felt like hiding and running away. And the worst thing was, no one heard her say that but me. No one heard it and I just wish the thing that I so wanted, I wanted that, I wish that my mum heard it so that then some justice could be brought about. Like I was like, she needs to be told off. That's so mean. That's not okay. But nothing happened. She got away with it. And there I was, this distraught little girl, having just been so excited to eat my little piece of cake and she just slammed that comment in. I felt like so mad. If ever there was a time for me to pray, Lord, slay the wicked, maybe that would have been it. It was not a good moment for me. Have you ever felt like that? 
Have you ever been wronged? Have you ever had someone say something against you falsely or just when you've been wronged, when someone has done something on purpose against you in spite to be rude or hateful or vengeful, how do you feel when that happens? You see, there's much that the New Testament says about this, but to begin with, we're going to start off by looking at a parable Jesus shares in Luke 18. And I love this because he actually sets up right at the beginning of this parable what it's all about. He says in verse 1, he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Set up right now. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect? Who are his elect? Those chosen by God, those who have given their life to Jesus saved by him, you and me. Will he not give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? If the unrighteous judge brings justice... How much more will the righteous judge, meaning God, bring justice? God is just, yes? He will judge and bring about what is right. We can ask that he does this when we when we're going through those times when we've been wronged and we've been hurt, it's part of casting your anxieties upon God, 1 Peter 5, and presenting your requests before God, Philippians 4. But notice a few things in Luke 18. Maybe we'll just keep that one up, Peter. The aim of this parable that we learn from the beginning and the ending isn't that we learn that it's not actually all about justice. Obviously, justice is a theme, a strong theme in this this, um, parable. But Jesus is actually also trying to highlight something else here, which is faith. It's prayer. It's not losing heart. Jesus is saying, yes, cry out for justice. God sees the oppressed. He sees what's going on in your life. He wants you to cry out to him. But... Will you remain faithful to him? Will you remain in relationship with Christ? Do you care more about eternity than the woes and injustices that are happening right here and now? Justice is absolutely important to God. We are to bring our causes to him. Give it into his hands rather than holding it in our own. That's a a big thing. But we are to not get so caught up in getting justice for our cause that we lose faith, lose hope, 
and lose our relationship with Jesus in the meantime. At the end, Luke 18, 8, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? When Jesus comes back to call his people, will you still be there? Or will you get lost in the way because you've been caught up in something that was unjust and unfair? And I'm not trying to diminish what is unjust and what is unfair. There, there is always going to be retribution for that. But just the issue is that sometimes we don't always see it on this, this side of the sun. And so we need to remain faithful. We need to remain close-knit with God, keeping these things in prayer, taking them to Him, but to remember that, that we are ultimately a child of God, that, that our main aim here is to have that relationship with Jesus Christ and to draw near to Him. Have you been growing in your relationship with God? God? I don't know why I said it like that. Have you, have you been growing in your relationship with God? Or have you been growing bitter or angry at the injustices that you see around you? Every imprecatory psalm, David is still drawing close to God. How do we know that? Because these are prayers to God. He's actually speaking to God. This is him praying. This is him handing it over to God. He was king. Like this guy had the capacity to outwork everything that he, well, not everything, but, you know, he had the the power to really take out his revenge on these people. And yet he doesn't. He says to himself, I am a man of prayer. He's not a man of revenge. He he gives it over to God. Yet his prayers were something a little bit different, weren't they? You know, he still seems to be going a little bit too hard in, in, in my mind. Like when, you know, someone says, I'm praying for you, you're not expecting them to go home and be like, oh, Lord, send your fire on that person and wipe them off the face of the earth. Like you're expecting that they're going to be praying something nice for you, right? Um, so David was a man of prayer, but... Are the imprecatory psalms, the way that he prays them, are they a, you know, are they a good example for us to follow? And look, yes and no. Um, and no is, is because of here of Matthew 5. Jesus says this himself. This is the Sermon on the Mount, little snippets. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But... I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Jumping down a bit, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbour, hate your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. I love right here that you may be children of your Father in heaven. This is showing what the heart of our Father is, that his, his heart is to not... Um, to, to not hate his enemies, it's to love his enemies. And that's what we are to embody as well. Jesus doesn't say pray against those who persecute you. He says pray for those who persecute you, as this is the time of God's mercy. 
Ephesians 4, 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. We need to forgive those who persecute us as we have been forgiven. But we should also pray that our persecutors accept God's mercy as we have accepted his mercy. God causes the sun to rise for everyone, right? He sends rain unbiasedly. Although there are, there is evil and good, righteous and unrighteous, the time of God's judgment and vengeance is not now. Now is the time of grace. Romans 12, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. So, you know, it kind of gets a little bit confusing here because it's like, well, we, you know, are talking about how he doesn't wish bad things on, on people, but then it also talks about his wrath, that, that it, it's, it's his to avenge, that he will repay. And honestly, this subject can go back and forth. We're like, well, is God more like the imprecatory Psalms or, 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 or isn't he? But the confusion comes because God is just, yet God is merciful. God is just and he is merciful. Yet mercy is kind of the opposite of judgment. Mercy is saying to someone who did deserve judgment, I forgive you, I release you of that, I love you. So how on earth can God be both? How on earth can he both be just, bring judgment and be merciful, kind and gracious? And the answer is one word. The answer is one name. And that is Jesus. The answer is Jesus. You see, Every single one of those imprecatory psalms was answered. That's a scary thought, but it doesn't need to be. The object of God's wrath is not you. And I struggle to wrap my head around this concept because even for for us, when we do the most horrible things, the most heinous crime, even then we are not the object of God's wrath, your sin is the object of God's wrath. But you see, with Christ, we have the opportunity to let God take that sin off of our shoulders, take that sin off of our tab and place it on the shoulders of Jesus Christ. He has carries that sin. We have the opportunity to say, okay, God, I don't want this sin on my life. I don't want this judgment that comes with that. So I'm gonna give that over to you. That is the justice. That is the mercy that God says, I love you so much. I don't want you to get the judgment that this sin deserves. I'm going to give every single bit of that judgment to my son, Jesus Christ. And that's what happened when Jesus died on the cross over 2,000 years ago. That's what he was carrying. It was our sin upon his shoulders and not only carrying it, 2 Corinthians 5 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of Christ. 
in Him. Not in our works, not in our abilities, not in our ability to polish ourselves up. In Him, we might become the righteousness of God. All the evil in the world, the most heinous crime, even the sin that you feel sticks and grips to you so tightly, that sin Jesus Christ became and bore it in His flesh on the cross in the greatest miracle of all time, the greatest miracle where our sin was transferred from us to Jesus so that we might become the righteousness of God from wickedness to righteousness. But is this an automatic transaction? No, it's so that we might become. We are born in a corrupt nature. We are all born with choice and will. We understand that. The greatest choice that we have as human beings is what to do with our sin. Are we going to keep it? Or are we going to give it? We can choose sometimes <laughs> what well, we can. We have the choice whether we sin or we don't sin. And the Holy Spirit helps us with that. But we know at the end of the day, even our best efforts fall so short of perfect. And that's an issue because perfect is what is needed to get into heaven. So if perfection is unattainable through our own ability, there is only one answer and that's where this choice comes in. Will we choose to hold on to our sin or will we choose to humble ourselves before Jesus, accepting His forgiveness, accepting His mercy and casting our sin to Him? One last thing I wanted to point out about these imprecatory Psalms is that it seems like David has quite clearly drawn this line between the righteous people of God and the unrighteous people who are not of God. The people who are, you know, God's favoured and the people who aren't favoured. And the thing that frustrates me here is that it seems like both people on both sides of the line still sin. You know, it, it, they do. They, they sometimes still do the exact same things. And yet over here for the people of God, David is praying mercy and forgiveness. And he puts himself in that bucket, of course, and he prays all those things. But then over here for the people not of God, he's praying hellfire and brimstone and that their names will be wiped out from the book of life. And it's kind of like there's this, there's this line that's drawn and it just seems a bit unfair. Like here, this is where this thought came from for me. Psalm 108 Verse 6, that your beloved ones may be delivered. Give salvation by your right hand and answer me. He says your beloved ones may be delivered. It made me think like, who does David believe are God's beloved ones? Is it just this select group of people? Or is it the people as well on, on, on this side? The sinful, evil, brought up wrong, too far gone people. And then it made me think, where would you place yourself on that line? If there was a line here and there was the righteous and the unrighteous, where would you say that you land? Are you over here or are you over here? And maybe it's a question in your mind when you read about um, the unrighteous or evildoers in the Word. Maybe you think, well, I actually feel like that's me. I actually feel like, you know, 
I'm part of that, that look at the life I've lived. How could I be a part of the people of God? But Galatians 3 says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all. Somebody say all. You are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptised into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. This is basically saying, look, the line is gone. There is no line there. Through our faith in Christ, we are all part of the family. We are all children of God. We all belong to Christ. We are God's people. The border of the people of God has been removed. It isn't purely over one country or one race or or one gender. His care is for everyone. His salvation is for everyone. God's arms are open to all Jew and Gentile alike. His chosen people are those who choose Him. It's that simple. We are the beloved ones that Psalm 108 talks about. We are the ones who have been delivered. We are the ones who have been given salvation. When reading the Empire, we once were. Colossians 1, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds, in your thinking, because of your evil behaviour. <clears throat> But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without free, without blemish, not without free, lots of free, without blemish and free from accusation. We were enemies. But praise God, Father, through Jesus Christ, because uh, of Jesus, our sin has been transferred from our shoulders onto Christ. So to answer the question, uh, all the horrible things that these imprecatory Psalms brings up, is that the heart of God? Are we in that enemy segment? Not at all. We are no longer enemies to God. He has paid a great price so that we could be reconciled to Him. How good is our God? So good. If I can have the band up. Thanks, guys. So, little update from the Smith household. Um, Brock and I got a puppy last week. Oh, I should have had a photo of him. He's so cute. He's this little fluffy um, German shepherd puppy. He's called Bruno and he is the sweetest little thing. Uh, You know what though, when we first picked him up, we had to drive a whole four minutes from the breeders here in Murray Bridge to home. And you know what the first thing is that he does? Right in my car, once we popped him in there, he did a giant diarrhea. It absolutely stank. You know what the second thing he did was in this whole four minute journey? from the breeders to home. He did another giant diarrhea and he proceeds to step in it, sit in it, roll in it, put it all around the car. Oh gosh, you know, we were tempted to get a little bit angry at him. Maybe a lot angry. My car's not too special, but you know, no one wants puppy poo all over their car. We had to realise, okay, look, he's a puppy. 
um, he's, all these new things are going on. Like we, it was a bit of a surprise that we, we got him so soon. And so he hadn't really got to know us yet. And it was a little bit, you know, probably uncomfortable for him. But he wasn't trying to send us a sign that he hated us. He wasn't trying to send us a sign that, you know, he, he just wanted to ruin my car. And he was just like, so thought it was so bad. So he's going to add some poo to it. He wasn't trying to like even be naughty or rude. We, we had to realise, okay, this is a natural reaction. Um, Bruno, he just... He just doesn't know what he's doing. That's it. And then make it worse. <laughs> we get home and um, he just has a real issue with biting. I know that's not an issue. All puppies bite. But he just loves to bite me. Like, just me. Not Brock. Not anyone else. Just me. He just loves ripping into me. My hands, my feet, my ankles, anything he can get onto. He literally broke my watch a little bit. And it's a metal watch too. Anyway, he, um, he had this issue. And I'm tempted to take it personally. But again... I have to realise he's a puppy. I hope he's not meaning it on purpose. <laughs> I have to realise, all right, he knows no, not what he does. He doesn't know what's going on. It's up to Brock and I to teach him and say, hey, look, it's not nice to, to bite people and to poo in their vehicles. Um, but if we don't tell him that, he's not going to know. He knows not what he does. And, you know, a bit of a weird example, but I just wanted to bring up that, I, that we got a puppy, so I made it work. <laughs> He's very cute. Uh, but, you know, when it comes to us and um, our poo in the car, the one who could have called a curse down on us, the one who could have thrown us in hell and locked us away for our sin and, and for the things that we have done wrong, the, the, the crimes that we have committed, the only one who could have punished us for that, who could have let His anger out justly on us. He says, as He was hanging up on the cross in Luke 23, Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Is our God a angry God out to get evil people? Not at all. No, He is out to call us His children home. He has the grace to say that we know not what we do. You see, there is still time for us. No matter where we are, even if you're sitting here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never said, all right, I don't want to carry this sin anymore. I want to give it over to you and invite you into my life and, and be the righteousness of Christ. There is still time to do that. Just like the, the man who was on the cross with Jesus, the man who was next to Him, he just cried out, all right, take me with you. And Jesus said, okay, come with me. There is still Time, every single one of us who have given our lives to Jesus, God has forgiven us of an eternal debt. He is a just God in that there needed to be a punishment, but He said, I will send my son and He will take that punishment. He will wear that judgment. He will become that sin so that we may be saved. So this morning, the message that I felt for us this morning was clear. And it's this that you are a part of God's people, that God's object of wrath is not you. It was poured out on Jesus Christ. He showed us the greatest mercy this world has ever seen. He took our sins 
so that we could be made righteous and forgiven. We know it from every square inch of His Word, but in case you need one last reminder, I want to share something that Pastor Josh shared right at the beginning of the year with our favour and grace message. When Jesus came to earth, He made it clear what His mission was. And He says in this, um, in this verse, Luke 4.18, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were on Him and He began by saying to them, Today, this Scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, Pastor Josh pointed out that that, what Jesus quoted, was actually not the end of the verse He was speaking from, from Isaiah 61. It actually ends, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And it says, and the day of vengeance of our God. That's how it actually ends. The day of vengeance of our God. Yet Jesus, with purpose, did not read that last line. Was it smudged? Like, did he have a struggle, like, kind of reading it? Was it on the next page of the scroll? I don't believe so. I think Jesus said it with purpose because that, the day of vengeance, that was not Christ's mission. His mission was to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and grace. That is why He came to earth, not to punish you, but to pursue you, to call you home, to say, I love you. I've forgiven you. Here, pass me all of that. I will wear that gladly on my shoulders so that you may be with me for all eternity. I have made a place for you in the heavens. Will you follow me? Will you take my hand? Will you drop those things at my feet and come and follow me? That was the mission of Jesus Christ. Will you accept His call today if you never have before? Will you say yes to Jesus? He is calling you. He's knocking on the door of your heart. He came to free us. We are in the year of the Lord's favour. The song God's rights for us is not in the key of death. It is in the key of life. Will you stand with me this morning? I want to pray for two people. Well, probably two groups of people. Maybe it's just two people. That's cool. But the first group of people will be for people who have had someone really wrong you, really hurt you and you're struggling because an injustice has been done for you. And, and, and I want to pray that you'll be able to copy what King David did. King David had the ability to outwork the um, anger upon his enemies, but he doesn't. He gives it to God. He trusts God with the justice that ultimately God will bring about what is right. And I want to pray that we can accept the peace of God, that we can accept that everything that we lost, everything that was taken from us, we gain back and more in Jesus Christ. And then the second group of people I want to pray for are um, people if you feel like or you know that you have wronged someone else and you actually need to forgive yourself 
um, and allow God's forgiveness just to sweep through you, mind, soul and body. But first, I want to pray for that, that first group of people. If you have had someone who has wronged you, some injustice that has been done to you, and rather than letting it grow roots of bitterness and resentment and anger inside of you this morning, let's give it to God. Let's place it in the strong, just, but merciful hands of our Heavenly Father. Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. So with all eyes closed, if that's you this morning, will you reach out your hands in front of you? You might not feel comfortable doing that and that's okay because God knows what's going on in your heart and in your mind. But if you do feel comfortable, you need to forgive, you need to give it over to God. Let's pray together. Father, you know everything that has gone on in our lives, Lord. And you see, you see the oppressed. You say that that's part of your mission is to set the oppressed free. And you see the, the, the pain in our hearts. You see the injustices that have been done. And we just want to take a moment, Lord, to thank you that for everything that has been taken from us, you have restored to us in and through Jesus Christ, in and through the work that you have done on the cross. And right now we accept that. We accept what you have done for us. We accept the love that you give us and the care that you give us. But right now as well, Lord, we want to give this person, this situation over to you. We want to trust you with the justice. We don't want it hanging around on us. We want to give it over to you and say, Lord, have your way in their life. We pray for those who persecute us, Lord. We pray that you will bless them. We pray that they will accept your mercy. We pray that they will find you, Lord Jesus, and give their lives over to you in Jesus' mighty name and Jesus mighty name have your way in their lives and in our lives amen the second group is for people who you know that you have done something wrong maybe it's really hurt someone else or maybe it's just this this um, bad habit that you have in your life that that lurks around you like a shadow and you Jesus has offered you that transfer of sin but you also want to forgive yourself this morning and walk in that freedom, light and love that, that God has for you. We're going to pray together. Um, just want to read this verse. I really felt that for some people this, here this morning. Colossians 1, 21. Once you were alienated, yeah, you were enemies because of your evil behaviour. Yeah, that's true. There is justice. But now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight without blemish. And this is the big one, free from accusation. You see, the enemy, like I said earlier, is known as the accuser and he loves to get in our ears and just accuse us, accuse us, accuse us. Oh, remember that thing that you did yesterday? Remember that thing that you did to that person? Remember that site that you went on? And remember those things that you did? Like he loves to accuse, accuse, accuse. But Jesus says we are free from accusation through Jesus Christ, that we don't need to wear that. We don't need to wear that shame. We don't need to wear those lies anymore because we are the righteousness of Christ. And so this morning, if you need to hand something over to God, if you need forgiveness for yourself, and if you want to forgive yourself and accept that forgiveness of Christ with every eye closed, let's reach out our hands in front of us. And maybe this, this is something that you need to do every day. Maybe this is something that you have never done before. And this morning, God sees that. 
He sees you. And let's pray together. Father, we just hand these things over to you. You know what it is that's on our heart. You know these things that we've done or these things that we've believed, Lord. And we just want to say in Jesus' mighty name, we give them to you. We thank you, Jesus, that you paid the price so that that transfer can happen. And we just say, Lord, take it, take it, take our sin, Lord. And we accept your forgiveness. We accept your mercy. We accept your righteousness. And I just speak against the accuser and all the lies and accusations that he speaks into our minds. And we say no more in Jesus' name, no more lies, Lord, only the truth. Lord, will you speak your truth? Will you just drench us right now in your grace? Remind us of what You have done for us on the cross, God, that it cancels out every debt. It cancels out every sin that no more, God, You see, made holy without blemish and free from accusation. Let there be freedom right now in this place. In Jesus' mighty Name, Amen, Amen. If you have never prayed that prayer before and you want to say, yes, Jesus, I invite you into my life. Um, I was going to say, go to the back, but I'm just going to say right now, if that's you, just pop your hand up with every eye closed and no one looking around. If that's you, you've never made that decision before. You want to say, yes, Jesus, I want to be yours. I don't want to rule my life anymore. I want to give my, my life to you, my sin to you. And I want to walk free in relationship with you. I want to become a Christian. Will you place your hand up this morning and just want to see it and we'll pray with you and all those on the live stream as well. Is there anyone in this place? Let's pray together. Father, we thank You that You have died on the cross for us. We accept Your grace and Your mercy. We give our sin over to You and accept Your saving grace. Lord, come into our lives, make us new and let us walk as that new creation that we are. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. We're going to worship. Does that sound good, team? Let's worship. Let's praise God. He is a mighty God. He is a good God and He has paid a great price for us to know Him and be in relationship with Him. Let's worship Him this morning with everything we got. Thank you for joining us this week. If you wish to connect with us, please send an email to info at life.house or come and see us at 170 Adelaide Road, Murray Bridge. And remember, the door is always open for you at Lifehouse. God's house, our home.